Hey, how's it going? Welcome back to the End Palm Podcast, a new one-on-one show where I sit down with the folks behind some of our favorite games, or maybe the games that are just around the corner. I'm Alex James Kane, author of the Boss Fight Books entry on Star Wars Night Sealed Republic. I've written for places like Polygon, who published my oral history of Morrowind in 2019, for Killscreen, Rolling Stone, and Glixel, Variety, StarWars.com, USA Today, PC Gamer, and Fangoria Magazine. I thought this podcast might be a perfect way to catch up with some of the people I've talked to in years past, meet some very cool new ones, and learn more about the art and craft of making video games. My guest today is Gun Interactive co-founder and creative director Ronnie Hobbs. I spoke to Ronnie over the phone almost five years ago, right around Halloween, for an oral history of Friday the 13th The Game. I was a huge, huge fan of that game. I still get together online with some of the same people I met back when that launched uh, and play every now and again, usually when the 13th of the month happens to fall on a Friday. Uh, And now, a little more than six years after F-13, Gun and Sumo Digital are releasing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, based on Toby Hooper's seminal 1974 film. It drops on August 18th, the day the movie takes place, for most of the major platforms, PC, Xbox One, Xbox Series X and S, PS4, and PlayStation 5, with online crossplay. So here's me talking to Ronnie Hobbs. We talk about Texas, slasher movies, the origins of the Friday and Texas Chainsaw games, and his unique path into the industry. So can you remember the first time you saw the 74 Texas movie? I actually can. Um... I think it was, you know, I'm 45 now, so forgive my memory, but I was probably eight or nine. So I, mm-hmm. I know that was way too young to be seeing it, but um, I don't know about you and, and when you started watching horror films, but like any kid growing up in the 80s, part of our weekend routine was to find a VCR and try to find a videotape of, you know, Friday the 13th or Halloween or poltergeist or basically anything you could get your hands on and try to get together and secretly watch movies. Right. Yeah. Um, yep. So I remember we went to, we, we had a, a local video store where we would rent games. You know, I didn't have a lot of money, so we had to rent games instead of buying them because they were really expensive. Um, so we'd go rent a, a video game and there was this um, old guy behind the counter who started slipping us horror movies into the bag for free. <laughs> Um, which he would be in jail today for that probably. But you know, I remember he gave us the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He gave us like Suspiria one time, um, plus like Poltergeist and, and lesser, um, I would say lesser shocking horror films. But nice. yeah, I remember seeing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre about when I was like eight or nine years old. And um, yeah, it kind of stuck in my memory, just like Friday 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and all those films. So that, that was probably way too young, but I do remember and it left an impact on me for sure. Yeah, I remember being like six years old and seeing like Critters 2. And then I must have told my, <laughs> I think I told my dad, like, oh, we watched this crazy movie. And then, you know, after that, it's like, well, I guess you can watch Psycho. I guess you can watch uh, Night of the yeah. Living Dead. And then, so, you know, he started dragging out some of those VHS tapes. And- That's, yeah, actually, the, the first horror film I saw was uh, Prom Night with Jamie Lee Curtis. And that was before. And I was just hiding behind my parents' recliner. And I think they knew I was there. <laughs> Right. I'm sure I wasn't being very stealthy, but um, yeah. I didn't stay very long. I think I saw a couple scenes and I ran back upstairs. 
you know, and they were like, go back to bed. And basically I kept coming back down. So they let me watch it, but I don't remember much about it other than a few scenes. And um, that kind of, I guess, led to us and my friends doing it for fun <laughs> on the weekends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that's kind of what sleepovers were back then a lot, you know, because of that. We didn't have quite like the internet and, and, no. online gaming and stuff it, like basically we had vcrs and uh, at some point nintendos and things like that yeah so i won't I, i'm a big fan of the friday game obviously i won't talk about that like this whole interview but that's this idea for a texas game goes way back to the inception of the friday game right like it was sort of one of the ideas on the table when summer camp sort of came about right yeah uh, a lot of people yeah don't know that but it was people just assume that Friday the Thirteenth came out of nowhere. But if you don't know the story of Summer Camp, then you can be lost. You know, for those that don't know, Summer Camp was just our tribute to a genre at that time that didn't really exist. Um, you know, the, the asymmetrical multiplayer genre, at least specifically like slasher or even I would say asymmetrical in general, didn't really exist. Um, if you look back at like old school asymmetrical games, like. No, a- AVP, Alien versus Predator, that was asymmetrical. But at that time, that wasn't a term that people threw around. Um, and even like Spies versus Mercs, that game mode on Splinter Cell was asymmetrical yeah. with the different abilities and things like that. So there were moments throughout history where asymmetrical was a thing, but it certainly wasn't a, a mainstream genre like it is today. So in 2014, when we announced Summer Camp, geez, that was so long ago, it feels like um, there really wasn't a whole lot on the market. I mean, you know, like Left for Dead uh, was yeah. a thing, um, which was, just felt different, you know. Um, but yeah, a lot of the ideas that we had internally, they weren't just for summer camp. We loved Friday 13th, but we had a whole host of of other ideas that could fit into that so-called slasher genre. We just narrowed it down to Friday 13th because we love it. But there was certainly a, a time when multiple killers was on the table um, going back that far. It's just, you know, at that, to- at that time, I think you don't know that you can pull that off, right? And the yeah. opportunity isn't there. So if you concentrate on one killer, and of course, we went with our love for Friday 13th, and that kind of determined the number of killers. Um, and eventually that turned into Friday 13th. And, you know, um, and here we are today. But yeah, it was definitely something always on our mind of, could that be pulled off? Um, are we ready for that? Should we pursue that avenue or should we just do the Friday 13 tribute? And I'm glad we did because here we are today with Texas. Yeah. Didn't you have an idea about like three clowns or something like that? Yeah. That's a, that's a, like, it's a funny story because um, yeah, the, the original idea was let's do a circus style thing, but it was actually going to be like <laughs> Rob zombie style zombies. You know, he has the, the tall kind of modern ones and not the funny kind of killer clowns ones. Um, but yeah, we thought it'd be cool to have three or four people, sneaking into an amusement park and, you know, all the goofy stuff happening, you know, that we know and love from the film. And, um, and that was certainly going to be multiple killers. And what was funny is we were like, man, we don't want to approach that. Cause what if they sue us or, or what, what if like, you know, we get too close to the fire and someone doesn't like that. We made a tribute to their movie. Yeah. But eventually we were like, why are we doing that when we don't love it? Let's go ahead and um, change that to one killer. And at the time we didn't have a name for summer camp. It's funny. <laughs> Um, when Wes, you know, he would come into my room and we would talk and talk about the idea in general of the slasher genre is what we were calling it. And he was like, Hey, this is, we all love Friday 13th. So let's concentrate on that. 
but we need a name. And I think I spent about a month coming up with the most ridiculous names. I was trying way too hard to yeah. come up with like, you know, <laughs> camp something. And it was, I had this whole backstory and camp Waxahachie, you know, all these weird names that you would see on a bad horror film. Um, and ultimately Wes was like, we should just call it summer camp. And I was like, you know what? That's brilliant. <laughs> like, so that's kind of how summer camp was born. It was, but it was definitely other um, ideas at the table before we narrowed it down for sure. Nice. And you've got Kane Hodder back and his stunt people. So that's kind of like a, a point of familiarity for people who, who play the other game. Right. So he's playing like Leatherface, but then he does sort of kill animations and things like that. Is that right? Yeah. So obviously Kane's a, a legendary stunt guy. Like he was a stunt actor before he became Jason. And that's part of the reason why he, he got the job. And since then he is a stunt coordinator on a lot of films. And of course we used him on Friday the 13th to play Jason. Um, but he was also our stunt coordinator to make sure that everything went safely um, as he was killing people. Right. <laughs> but also <laughs> yeah. the equipment, right. You, you got to have a stunt coordinator on set to make sure everyone's safe. Um, Kane kind of pulls double duty on that. So when he came to Texas, obviously Kane and I have gotten pretty close and we're really good friends now. And I know his work ethic and he's the type of guy that he's, he's loyal. He works tirelessly. Everyone loves him. He's professional, but he's also really good at his job. And so we knew we wanted him to play Leatherface just because he was a stunt double um, for RA in part three, you know, back in the day on Texas Chainsaw. So he had experience and it also happens. He was friends with Gunnar Hansen. So I knew, I knew he would relish the role and he would uh, take pride in doing it. And he was very, very excited to do it. But yes, he's back uh, playing Leatherface and making sure that all of our other killers are killing people safely in mocap. <laughs> <laughs> was that process any different in sort of the post 2020 world or was it pretty much the same? Um, yeah, if you're thinking about COVID, um, yeah, that was definitely challenging. You know, I think you may touch on this later, but I traveled a lot during COVID just back and forth to Texas just for research. But sure. You talk about mocap specifically, just, you know, six feet apart, wear masks. Um, yeah. that whole thing that really drove the entire, what, two years there where, um, people were, were afraid to leave their home more or less go to a studio and, fight each other on a mocap, you know, on a mocap floor. And then of course there's rules and regulations and you have health officials present during the mocap, like you're getting too close together. So when you have a violent game where you have to grab people and kill them and do things like that in a mask, uh, it, it was very hard for the, for the actors to breathe and to do things as you can imagine, but just scheduling wise. And, you know, it threw a, a wrench into the process for sure. But, um, but we got it done. Yeah. Gotcha. And then, so is the other big headline, Edwin Neal is back as the voice of the hitchhiker, right? The brother. That is, that is true. So um, obviously Gunnar Hansen and Jim Sita, like, like they're not around anymore, but um, Edwin is, and Edwin still does VO for a lot of projects, including like cartoons and anime. So he had been keeping his voice up pretty well because, you, you know, this obviously the film is from 74. So you never know how someone's going to sound today. Yeah. So when we knew he was interested um, and we heard his voice redo the hitchhiker from all those years ago, it, it definitely was an, a, a pleasant surprise that he could still do the voice. So of course we had to use him. Um, so yeah, he's in some ways he's the scariest character in that movie, right? Like yeah, he's, uh, he's so unpredictable, right? Yeah. And he's just, 
he's just all over the place and you turn your back and he's gone. It just feels like that type of guy that you, you can't trust for more than one second. You don't know what you're getting, right? You know what, like, you know, you know what love face is, and yeah. you know what the is, but he's just, he's odd and he's, you know, all over the place. Yeah. I, I remember I watched Texas for the first time because of the Friday game. So the Friday game kind of like lit that candle again, where I was like, oh, I got to go back and rewatch all these slasher movies. And then Texas, I had nice. never, I had never watched the original Texas. So I, you know, picked up the Blu-ray and yeah, one of the, like those images that just haunts you is like when he whips out the razor blade or whatever, right. And just starts cutting himself. It's like, wow. Yeah. He's so good. Um, yeah, I'm excited yeah. to to see how how he kind of factors in as a he'll be a playable character, right? That you can choose. To, oh, oh yeah, yeah, and he's got his own crazy things, and his personality comes through in his VO lines and the way that he moves. You know, the, the motion actor behind him is Sean Whalen. People under nice. the stairs and Twister, and he's done a lot of things, and he brought that character to life for us um, in the mocap setting. So yeah, what's his other is his other iconic thing that he has a, a camera. Is that what he carries? Yeah. And um, oddly enough, so our story features a young girl named Maria Flores. And um, it's her younger sister, Anna, and Maria's closest friends from college to come looking for her. You know, she's an art student, uh, finally got to go to college. And, you know, she loved traveling around the Texas countryside and taking photos, especially during wildflower season. And one of our new family members, Johnny, abducts her and kidnaps her. He's kind of the stalker, serial killer type. And he took her back to the house. And it's her camera, actually, that the hitchhiker takes and uses in oh, the original okay. film. So working with Kim Hinkle, who obviously was the writer of the original film and, and the owner of the rights now, he let us put that little story nugget in so that, you know, that camera that everyone knows and loves actually came from our character that we created. So that was a really, really awesome honor that he, he let us kind of do that. Yeah, so so your game is a prequel essentially, right? Is that yeah, it takes place about five months before five the, months, cool. Yeah, before the film. So And Kim Hankel, he was the main screenwriter, is that right? For the movie? That's correct. And I mean he was also, you know, that, that crew was so small that you know, he was there every yeah. day next to Toby Hooper looking through the same camera there in the heat. So he was on set every day and he's he shared some really, really cool, insightful knowledge with us on, you know things that happened and just, you know, lenses and the way that they shot and the real conditions and things we didn't have to rely on hearsay. Right. Um, we had the guy who created the characters and, um, created the story and was there every day. So he was been just awesome to work with. Yeah. That was back in that sort of easy rider tradition of filmmaking, right. That sort of anti-Hollywood where kind of like Carpenter and Halloween, I think, where they're just like some kids in a van making a movie. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So did he have any specific like feedback or input for you guys along the way? Like, uh... um, I'd say that the biggest thing that he helped us with, at least for me was, you know, he let us create the new victims as well and, and then write the new story and how it's a prequel. And they let us create two new family members that we have at launch. And, you know, those are characters that he, that we, think are canon and that belong in his world now. And when you let someone like us, you know, create new characters in a franchise, that's pretty special for us. So there was just a lot of time of, of going back and forth with him, just picking his brain and trying to understand who these characters were and how they fit in the world and how they fit into the family and why they, why weren't they there in the original film if they're in our game five months before. 
So it was a, a just a constant back and forth. It was just great being able to call him or visit his house in Texas or wherever it was just to chat with him anytime we needed. That was like a, having access to someone like that and, and having them truly be excited. Like that's incredible. It's when it's one thing to work on a, a movie or something and make a game out of it, but when they're, they're calling you about things and going, man, I had a cool idea. You're like, man, this is yeah. awesome. <laughs> right. That, that's a different level of, of respect that you don't always get, I would say, um, which is cool. Do you, is there a story behind like pitching the Texas people on, on getting the license the way that um, like Friday had, or was it a lot easier? It's funny. This we time? Were, yeah. So actually, you know, after Friday the 13th came out, we, we were approached by a lot of people, you know, Hey, can you turn my movie into a successful game? All right. People come out of the woodwork, obviously. And I can't say the names, but it would surprise you that it wasn't just horror. It was like comedy and sci-fi. And, you know, I think Wes weekly would get emails and come in and say, Hey, here's 50 new things that we can get. <laughs> Let's look <laughs> through them. And some are really cool and they may make a great TV show or a movie, but they don't make a great game. Sure. And while some would make a great game, they're not popular uh, or maybe you don't love it as much. So you're not going to devote four years of your life to it. I remember somehow, some way, someone said, Hey guys, I wanted to introduce you to the Texas Chainsaw people. They've been asking about you. So I, it turns out that they were interested in making a game and we were like, Oh God, yeah, we've been like trying to find you. Right. Um, Cause you know, you never really know who owns what until you put out the feelers and you know, each franchise is different. Sometimes it's multiple owners. Sometimes it's multiple film studios. Sometimes it's one person. Um, so you have to start down that process of trying to figure out who to even talk to. So it was, it was pretty apparent that both sides were interested um, once we reached out. So that kind of, it was fairly easy to be honest. It just kind of happened and we were ready. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Friday, Friday was kind of this unexpected hit, right? It was sort of bigger than you guys probably imagined it would be. Yeah. I was, I was going to say like, I always compare it to, I know you're a big star Wars fan and so am I like, it's one of the things I care about in this world on my hand. I could name five things and one of them star Wars. Sure. sure. So imagine creating like a sci-fi game and like having star Trek or star Wars as your inspiration and then having like, George Lucas just call you and be like, Hey, turn it into a star Wars game. You would be like, what? So that's kind of what it was for Friday 13th, where we didn't expect it. Um, that wasn't why we did it. We just truly loved the franchise and we wanted to make a tribute to it because we didn't think it would ever happen. You know, it'd been 30 years since the last game. And, you know, at that point you basically give up and you go, well, I guess we better do it ourselves or get as close as we can. And yeah, that was, it took off. And obviously, you know, Millions of people downloaded it and sales went through the roof early on there. As soon as it came out, we were in the top two bestsellers on like PlayStation Store and Xbox Store. And that kept going. And then we, you know, as a small team, you just keep trying to put out fires and you keep doing what you can and trying to make the DLC and everything as fast as possible, trying to catch up to the success and, and all the player base. So this time we were, you know, obviously we knew what to expect, right? So, um, yeah, it was definitely a, a big surprise at the time, for sure. Yeah, it's like people were sort of starving for that kind of game back then because, I mean, you had like Evolve come out around the same time, but yeah. like, you, like you said, it wasn't asymmetrical horror, wasn't like this big hit genre that sort of I mean, especially know, spawned other things now. When you consider like, I mean, we announced Summer Camp in 2014 on Halloween, and it was a year later, almost exactly, it was Friday 13th, a year later that we announced that it was going to be 
Friday 13th and we were launching the Kickstarter. And then it was like a year later <laughs> when we came out. So there was a bit like three year chunk there where a lot of other games started getting announced and people started throwing their hat into that asymmetrical ring where a lot of games came out of nowhere. And there were, it seems like there were like five or six all at once. Some were supernatural, some were like ghosts, you know, and some were um, like just killer based. And it was a really cool time just to be in that as part of that group because it was validation that, oh man, not only people, gamers are interested in this idea, but other companies are willing to make a game in this genre now. So we had a feeling that it was going to take off pretty quickly based on the number of other games that popped up, which was even more of a reason for us to go, okay, the multiple killer angle, that is something we need to pursue next to, to stay ahead of the curve and help push the genre forward and not just do a copy and paste of Friday 13th, you know, which we could have done if we took on another franchise that had a single killer. Um, yeah. That makes sense. So. Yeah, like when I saw the Evil Dead game come out, it was kind of like a nice yeah. sign that, oh, okay, so this is going to be a thing that people continue yes. doing. And it's not like, and then, you know, it's not like yeah. Friday and Dead by Daylight are just going to be the two games that fade into memory. Like it really yeah, and is. Killer Clowns a- is coming out, you know, and, you know, and yeah, there's going to be more, I, I would assume. So, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's exciting. It's a good time for horror fans. That, that's for sure. So about the vision for the game, you guys decide like, okay, Texas is what we're going with. You know, you want to distinguish it from, from the other project. Like I associate the Friday movies with that in the game, especially too. It's very much that hide and seek in the dark nighttime. When I think of the Texas movie, you think of those orange sun sunrises and sunsets. Was that like a big thing of, of, oh, okay, we got to set this in the daytime partially and, and, and build on, on that or. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. Like Friday 13th was just don't go in the woods at night. Right. And that was, it's spooky in the night, but during the day you're okay. Right. Jason only comes out at night, so to speak. And it's that whole premise of Halloween really of like, it's nighttime it's Halloween. Michael Myers is out and it's very specific. Whereas Texas, if you watch the movie, feels like any normal day, anywhere in the middle of nowhere and the sun's out and it's beautiful and it's pretty and the countryside is beautiful, but in that house, you do not want to go. Right. So it, it kind of grounded. It was very grounded in reality, so to speak. And when, that's what made that movie so uncomfortable is it looked real. And, you know, everything from the camera angles and how long they left a, a certain shot on. Right. They didn't cut away and they just made it feel real uncomfortable. But at yeah. the same time, yeah. outside was this beautiful. Right. And it was just like, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't build sets. They didn't have to. Like the countryside itself speaks for <laughs> itself, so to speak. So that was part of the draw, obviously, for Texas is we have a chance to have a unique environment here um, that is a complete contrast to what you would expect from a horror game. Right. And, you know, we want you, I mean, our game takes place during wildflower season in Texas. And if you weren't familiar with that, it's like for a month and a half in Texas, the wildflowers bloom and people come from all over the world to see the blue bonnets and the Indian paintbrush. You should like Google that sometime. They take over their entire fields of it's just, it's a great spectacle. So Maria's out filming those or taking photos of those flowers and those flowers are in our game. So it's pretty awesome just to see you running through flowers, trying to escape Leatherface. There's a, there's a contrast there between the beauty and the macabre, right? So it's not something you get a lot in other games because it, people usually go overboard and just, you know, scary, dark, bloody, you know, all that stuff. So yeah. Uh, it was great to be able to do that and to have something set during the day. Actually, we have multiple times a day in our game. So we have, you know, 
dusk, dawn, and night. So all of our maps feature different variants of time of days, which um, kind of change. They take away shadows or add shadows, take away stealth opportunities or add stealth opportunities. Um, so each map kind of plays differently based on the time of day. But yes, the the general look and feel, it's that daytime, just innocent, beauty, beautiful countryside that, you know, can lead you to your death if you go the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I seem to remember a shot in the most recent Texas movie that hit Netflix where he, is he popping up out of those flowers? Um, yeah. <laughs> kind of became a meme. It became a meme. Yeah. Even tweeted. like, yeah. Even like David Blue Garcia. Yeah. He like tweeted it out and was like, I love these. That's the director. He's like, keep them coming. Um, yeah. It's, there's just something, you know, the contrast that you see between like beauty and horror. I love when films do that. Just, yeah. You know, and our game does a lot of that for sure. So what's it been like working with, it's the folks at Sumo Digital, right? Instead yes. of Ilphonic. So uh, what's what's great about that studio? They, you know, they, they did Sackboy on PS5. I mean, they, they're a big studio and they've, they've launched a lot of titles. Whereas, you know, at the time, you know, Ilphonic was rather young and so were we. Um, they, they had worked on some games before, but, you know, for us, Sumo is bigger and just, I think they might have more experience in the, in the multiplayer genre. Now Alphonic has plenty because they did Predator and they did a lot of cool stuff. So yeah, I think this, it's just a different studio. What, what we surprised us the most was their love for Texas was, you know, like it was, I mean, they're in England, right? You didn't really know the impact that a film has worldwide. You, you know that it does, but you know, when we met with them, they were just really excited because they loved the film and we're like, really? I guess, yeah, I guess that makes sense, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, they're, they're awesome. I mean, I know everyone says this is, oh yeah, our developers are great, right? No one's going to talk bad, but this is really, really honestly true. It's um, there's working constantly just on their own free will to try to make this the best they can. It's just every ounce of passion we have has been met by their team. And we had that same thing on a phonic. And I remember back in the day telling we had to tell them to stop working, you know, like you guys, sure. are, yeah, go to bed. Like, you know, it'll be okay. Like, we'll be fine. Like get some rest. But when you're so in love with a project, like Afonic was with Friday and us, and then Sumo is with Texas, it's hard to, to take a step back, you know, and they've done that the entire project. It's just, you know, but I think also part of my job as creative director is to like, I have my hand in everything, right? So gameplay, animation, story, characters, art, you know, you name it, metagame is like being comfortable enough to trust other people's opinions. And, and when they bring you something to go, yeah, you're right. You know, that's a hard thing to do if you've already thought about it for three years or two years before you even start development. Right. So when they bring me things, I'm like, man, that's awesome. You know, it's, it's refreshing to, to talk to people who care about the project and have great, great ideas. And um, they have, it's just been awesome. I don't, you know. Um, yeah. And, and gun media has grown too, right? That's that's also an effect of Friday's success, would you say? Oh yeah, we yeah we only had a handful of employees, you know, and and now we our our comms team is bigger, our customer support team is bigger. We have a producer here now. We have another tech guy here, so um, I have a, a help with the creative side. So yeah, we have a, a probably at least double the number of employees we had um, here for over Friday the thirteenth. So. You know, when, when you're a small company, you know, you just have to kind of do that. And that's what we did. And then success kind of happens and then you can grow accordingly and your next game benefits from that. So 
can we talk about you a little bit um, and sort of yeah. your background? Yeah. So, so you have sort of this game journalism background, I think uh, that I didn't realize I, we talked a few years ago um, for the Fangoria article, uh, like 2018, like around Halloween or something. And at the time we were just sort of talking about that project, of course, but so you, uh, you sort of started in journalism, writing about games, right? That was what I did. You know, I mean, I think it was like a lot of people. You just wanted to go to E3. Like, I don't know if you were in the same boat of E3 is where everything is and it's where all your idols are. And it's where you have to, you need to be in California if you want to work in the video game industry. That was definitely a thing 20 years ago with all the magazines like 1UP and like EGM and, you know, GamePro and all those websites. It felt like E3 was the place. It was a yearly thing that you had to be at if you wanted to work in the industry and make connections. So like many people, I would write reviews for anybody that would take me back in the day and I would do it for free just to get a copy of the game, just to write reviews so that I could get a ticket to E3, you know, and pay my own way. And, <laughs> you know, I don't know if you did any of that a long time ago when E3 was around and huge, but I always uh, covered it remotely. <laughs> I never okay. actually went to the event. Sadly, yeah, it, was but, this, yeah. it was this exciting place to be in. Like, I think I made new connections every single time I went. Um, so yeah, I spent a lot of time writing about games, just on my own free time, just trying to get there and meet people. And, you know, I mean, one day you're just, you have no food and you're trying to like, just take a meeting to get food <laughs> at the convention center, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the next minute you're like hanging out with Kojima or whoever, or, you know, like the editor in chief of IGN or, or, you know, any, any major outlet like that. And you're just talking to them and trying to learn and just meet people and get connections. So I did a lot of that for a while. Um, that's kind of how I met Wes, who's our president um, here. Um, he and I met at a local video game um, news outlet. It was called Gamer's Edge at the time. It was owned by Sinclair Broadcasting Group. So it was in the same town and that's where I met him. And um, this was 15 years ago, it feels like. And I instantly, I think we both knew that we were just compatible and that he was very creative. I was very creative and we wanted to do other things besides just write a review and then go to E3 and come home. Like we had an end vision, which was do something bigger. We didn't know what that was, but it was definitely... Yeah. do something bigger and then we've been just kind of working together ever since on a variety of things but yeah that's awesome yeah i, I went to a press event for like destiny 2's launch in 2017 and yeah just yeah. getting to hang out with like your peers and, and feel like you're sort of part of something rather than just you know sort of isolated off in your your corner right writing your articles yeah. by yourself you know it's a, it's a good feeling to to be you know yeah that's that. a thing it's like the you know the fear of missing out but it's also out of sight, out of mind. You know, I mean, if you could meet someone in person and give them your business card or get their business card and, you know, make a, a genuine connection, um, they're going to remember you. Networking is a real thing that unfortunately a lot of people in today's world don't get to do because we're so online driven. Whereas before it used to be like face driven, um, event driven. So I do miss some days. I do miss things like that because you miss yeah. that connection for sure. Yeah, I don't like sort of consciously network and think about it that much, but it's like the the last person who emailed me and said, hey, Alex, do you want to write this article for this big outlet? It was somebody I met at that Destiny event in person in 2017. You know, it's like people remember a conversation at a, at a bar or in some yeah, hotel I mean, lounge would... more than, you know, some, some guy on Twitter. That's funny. Yeah, some other person on Twitter, the number 12,000, right? So yeah. online, you're just kind of another, you know, thing that interrupted their day or that another message that they saw, you know, those are messages are easy to send, but going to a party or to an event and 
taking 30 minutes of your day to chat with someone and, you know, see who they are and what they're like, you know, people remember moments like that more than they do just a message. So, um, so yeah, that was how we started, uh, Wes and I back in the day. Nice. Well, so you did a marketing job in, in the industry, right? Was that related to Wes too, or was that something um, else? So one of the things that Wes and I tried a lot of different things. So one thing that we did was he had this brilliant idea to one E3, he was going to meet with American Apparel and he had an idea to put American Apparel inside of Second Life. Now, Second Life may still be around. I don't know. But back in the day, it was a huge and there were no brands in Second Life. So Wes was like, I'm going to go meet with American Apparel. I'm going to convince them to let me build a store, a real store in Second Life. And we're going to sell <laughs> clothes for your avatar, but it's also going to ship it to your door as well for you in real life. And I was like, dude, that's crazy. There's no way. Well, I went to the Xbox uh, conference and he went to meet with American Peril and he ended up convincing them to do it. Um, that started like our foray into, and, and actually he did that. And the next day he was on the cover of like Ad Age and all these places and all of a sudden like Samsung and everyone was calling him, like just trying to find a way for him to do that for their brand. So Amazing. We started something called like the ad agency or Tao. Um, and it was just like doing that, trying to introduce brands and put them into video games or trying to find some clever, creative way to do something. Um, we did that for a while. And then we started a consulting firm. Um, we like worked with like Dan Chu and people like that. And we started working on like games for EA and Microsoft and Sony and stuff behind the scenes. So mock reviews or going in person to chat with them about, you know, ideas or a, a lot of different things. It's that point where I had a kid on the way and I had an opportunity to go work on alien colonial Marines of all games. Um, so I, I moved to Texas and I was in the executive team on the marketing side there. So if you were talking about a marketing job, that may have been it. I worked on that game towards the end of its life cycle um, for about almost a year. And then I came back home and, and then we were finishing up Breach and Clear, which was our first mobile game for gun um, that lost on iOS. And sold lots of copies and kind of gave the company its first, I guess, amount of money to start building other games. But yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So you guys sort of learned how to be entrepreneurs and, and, and pitch stuff like early on in, in the ad world. And then that sort of uh, led to being able to get investors for, for the, the yeah, projects. That's oh cool. yeah. And we started like game cinema HD, which was like, you know, we were working with clear channels back to color New York and we were, we had a video game show that ran on the largest HD billboard there in Times Square. So we were putting people's trailers on billboards and stuff. And it was just a wild time where we were just like, let's do anything that hadn't been done before. Because Wes is very entrepreneurial and he's very creative and I'm the same way. So, you know, you get tired of one thing, you're like, hey, let's do something different. And that's kind of what happened. And we just jumped around doing a lot of interesting things. And yeah, one day we're like, hey, let's make our own game, you know, and that was Breach and Clear. And yeah, and here we are. <laughs> Friday, Friday was the the second project. Yes, right? okay. that's correct. Yeah. Um, oh, and then we also did Layers of Fear too. Layers of Fear. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A few years ago, in between Friday and Texas. So cool. What? So I haven't played Layers of Fear, uh, but so that sequel, you guys did like the the level design and the story design. I would how did, did they? I would say that. They were more than halfway done with the game we approached it. So we helped them with a little bit. You know, I worked with their creative team a little bit on some story and just some like just, you know, you just you just play it daily and you give them feedback and things like that. Uh, nothing 
too too crazy, nothing too groundbreaking or, you know, I wouldn't say we changed a whole lot, but we definitely just tried to help guide them to the finish line and to give them, you know, whatever they needed is what we really did. So it was cool to work on that project for about a year. Nice, nice. Yeah, sort of polish it and like help yeah. with the sort of the publishing side. Is that, is that how you would refer to that? Pa- packaging? Probably, yeah. Yeah, because we're not a traditional publisher. We usually take a project on from start to finish. And we were the creative team, but we also work with their creative teams. So it's like working together to create something. But in that situation, it was definitely more of a like publisher role. Sure. And and gun media, like, do you guys still refer to yourselves as a think tank? What is that? Yeah, because publisher just doesn't seem right for us because yeah. we don't just publish games, right? We we design games from start to finish in our head or, and on paper, and we have everything before we even approach the developer um, that we're going to partner with for the game. So we do a lot of things before we even go to the developer. Whereas a publisher, a lot of times they'll get approached by a developer. Hey, can you find our game? Or, you know, yeah. developer will be like, Hey, just put out a pitch for a star Wars game. Cause we have the license and you'll get, you know, 10 back from Ubisoft and everyone else. And you pick the project that you think is the best. We're definitely on the creative side, 100% of the time um, from start to finish. Whereas most publishers aren't. Yeah. There's a lot of sort of different business models in games now. Because you have you have these companies that are bigger than companies that have ever been, and then you have games that are being made by one or two people, uh, and and then sort of anything can happen as far as success. So that's yeah, cool. Definitely. But there's there's always different sort of hybrid models that people can consider. I think that's the at. evolution. Uh, I think that's you know once again it's online and everyone can communicate at all times, and you know you can publish your own games now, which wasn't a thing back in the day. You know, I mean, how many self-published games do you see on Steam every day? I feel like there's a hundred. Um, those barriers that once existed don't exist anymore for the most part. Um, so people have more access to people helping them work remotely or help, hey, we're going to make a game together. Let's get together. And, you know, it's easier than ever to do that. And it's easier than ever to launch your own game um, without the help of a publisher. Um, so I think that inadvertently just creates groups of people that want to do fun and cool stuff. Yeah. So how did you, you guys did like a press preview in Austin and you've done like the tech test and things like that on PC. How did, how did those um, help you guys sort of head to the finish line? Did it give you a chance to think about like, oh, here's some adjustments we can make on like the balancing side. Is that, I know you have a stream that's happening like tomorrow. Oh yeah. (laughs) So uh, is that kind of what you guys are going to talk about in that or. I would say, you know, I mean, most betas, depending on when they come out. Sometimes the beta is like two months before the game. Sometimes it's a legit alpha beta where it's a year before, depending on the time. But for our beta, we really wanted to see, we call it, it was a tech test, actually. We're really just trying to test the tech and stress it and see if um, everything we had built would stand up, right? The way that we had intended. But secretly, we also wanted to see how people were playing. Um, you know, it's one oh, thing yeah. for you and your 90 developers or however many that are pl- working on the game for four years, the way that you play it, um, you try to do everything right and try to play so many different ways to break it and do things. But to watch people play the tech test and see what they're doing and see which way they go and to see how often they're using stealth versus how often they're running or the way that they use the characters. And it's just an interesting social experiment to watch people play a game for the first time that you've been working on for four years. Um, so that was one big major thing we wanted to do. We wanted to watch people play and we wanted to see how they were playing each character and if they were playing them the way that we had designed, um, but also to make sure the servers were, were 
intact and staying intact. And they were, and it was rock solid. So that was, once again, that sumo, just being an incredible team and just making sure that, you know, technically that everything works. So yeah, and that I would say, and then from there, we did the, our party, kind of our launch party slash press event, even though it was before our game came out, we did the event in Texas. And then we got to see people in person and chat with them and watch them play while also having a party and all the actors came and it was a really cool event. And um, we built a family house inside and it was just, it was more of a, uh, just let's watch people in person and just hang out and have fun. And, you know, the press was there and stuff. So it was kind of a different experience, but the tech test definitely was us watching people. Nice. So were there, I was going to ask about the cast too, are, are some of the people from Friday back for this one, for the, the survivors or who, um, who are some of the other? Yeah. So mo- most of the, so the, all the killers are played by a unique person, at least one unique person. So, you know, Sean Whalen did the mocap for the hitchhiker. Um, but then it was Edwin Neal who did the voice. Christina Klee played Jenny Myers in Friday 13th, the game. She did the mocap for Sissy and she voices Sissy. So she did both for us there. Whereas like pretty boy, Johnny, which is one of the new characters. Um, his mocap was a guy named Doug Mir, uh, and then Damien Maffei um, from Strangers and um, Haunt. He does the voice. So we have Troy Burgess who voices the cook, and he did the mocap. Leatherface did the mocap for. I mean, Kane Hodder did the Leatherface for mocap. We have another guy named Lex Lang doing the, the growling and the grumbling. So really, it's like a combination of of some people. We have a lot of cool voice actors that are known in the video game industry. Um, but the big, maybe the biggest horror besides Kane would be Scout Taylor Compton. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. She's from Christina's, Rob Zombie's uh, co-star. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> that group. So yeah, Scout's awesome. She did, um, we had another stunt girl that did some stunts for the victims, but Scout does all the victim movements in our game and she plays Julie in our game. So when you see the females running around hurt, acting hurt and in pain, that's Scout and she's just been incredible. So Getting her on the project and bringing her experience of, you know, we've seen her stumble away from Michael Myers and in pain. And, you know, I knew she could do it. Um, so to put her in the suit and watch her do that in real life was just great. And, you know, so yeah, we have lots of people involved, lots of actors and lots of cool voice actors. But the guy who played Bugsy in Friday 13th, um, he's doing the voice for, for Sonny, Zeno Robinson. So he's doing the voice for Sonny again. So yeah. So basically, Christina Cleave. And um, Zena Robinson are the two people that worked on Friday, as well as Kane, that are also working on Texas. So nice, yeah. Um, I feel like those Rob Zombie films, and especially the second one, have undergone this kind of reappraisal that it always happens with with horror <laughs> yeah. stuff, right? Where like something that people didn't really get when it came out, like eventually people like it finds its audience and, and Halloween two has really, uh, I rewatched all the Halloween movies like a year or two ago. And that one really has aged phenomenally. Um, it's so fun. Yeah. She, I think she just makes it, you know, she's so good. She's great, man. She's yeah. Whatever you think about Rob Zombie's movies, she is not the, the critique, right? She's not a problem in anything she does, you know? So it is funny that, we people hate things when it comes out and then all of a sudden five, 10 years later, people go, Oh man, that's so good. Right. <laughs> I mean, it happens with every, I mean, the new Leatherface film that came out on Netflix, some people are like, I hate it. And now those same people are like, Oh, you know what? It's kind of underrated. I kind of like it. And they did the same for how, for Rob Zombie's Halloween's and you know, the last Jedi, it, it, you can go down the list of people that just absolutely hate 
something, but then they, it finds a resurgence, you know, five, 10 years later, when all of a sudden they have a different mindset. Yeah. Stuff that's like sort of messy and interesting. It always sort of grows over time. Like, I mean, Halloween three people probably hated, you know, because Dude, that's funny because I was about to say that it's like, now you ask them what their favorite Halloween is. It's Halloween three. Yeah. Right. But it, yep. when it came out, they're like, this is not even a Halloween movie. This is dumb. Right. Yeah. Um, but now it's literally like at the top of a lot of people's list. What are you sort of most excited about for when, like the moment players get their hands on this and all sort of bets are off and it's, you know, on Twitch and things like that? What sort of uh, are you looking forward to? Um, I think, I mean, obviously, I, as a company, you want the game to go to do well and you want everything to go according to plan, right? You want to get enough money to make another game and all those things aside, like creatively for me, one of my favorite things to do is because I'm so ingrained in every aspect of it. And because it's been in my head for four years, you know, maybe even five, like when you're the creative director, you see things, you know how you want everything to look. So I know how I want people to play and I know where I want them to try to hide and crouch and the way that I want them to move. And I know the way I want the camera to look when it's happening. And, you know, I know, I know the way I want them to run and walk and swing a weapon and everything. I already have that kind of in my head. And throughout the process, you have to make kind of concessions or sometimes some of those things come true and some don't, right? That you change things based on other people's feedback or other employees have different ideas and you, you nurture that and you kind of change the game. But what I love is when I see people do the things that I knew they were going to do like four years ago when I envisioned yeah. it. Like I love seeing people play the game the way that I thought they would. There's just something really cool about that of like, man, I knew that would work. Like, you know, cause it's in your head and your head only, even if you put it in video form or you find examples or you tell someone what you see in your head is a lot different than, than that. So even during the tech test, you know, I was watching a streamer and they were playing and they were doing exactly what I wanted them to do in that moment. So it's like it's gratifying because it feels like they got it. Like it feels like they're playing the experience that you know is going to be the best for them and they're having fun. And that's always the best, I think, is when you see people enjoying your game, playing it, play, using the mechanics that you and the team and Sumo came up with. And that's always really rewarding. So it's not even that they like the game. It's this, I feel like a director and they're playing they're acting out the scene the way I wanted them to in a weird way, which is always just a really interesting thing to, to create and explore. Awesome, man. Well, I, uh, you know, I still play Friday occasionally with some of the same people that I played it with the week it came out. And so I'm hoping that, you know, most of them will check out Texas yeah. so we can get the, <laughs> get the band back together on some Friday nights. Um, but, uh, thanks so much for doing this. This was a lot of fun and, uh, yeah, I can't wait to check it out. I, I didn't do any of the beta stuff, so I'm just sort of going to play oh. it fresh when it hits Xbox. So Nice. Yes, yeah, so you're ready, man. You got Game Pass ready? You're going to download it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, August 18th on all the, the major platforms, right? So that, that is correct. Yeah, everything but Nintendo Switch um, and like Engage, right? <laughs> That's still around. I don't know. But yeah. Awesome. Awesome, um, man. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate it, man. Best um, of luck. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate the time today. It was really, really fun talking to you.